Hello and welcome to another extra special, extra wonderful, fully replicant episode of Normandy FM. I am one of your co-hosts, Eric Van Allen, joined as always by Kenneth Shepard. Ken, how you doing? I'm good. I'm ready to serve replicant. <laughs> I was wondering when we would eventually get an opportunity for you to use that uh, <laughs> on the pod. And it was sitting right in front of us. All yeah, we, we should have we, we should have done like subtitles for every season of the show where we mm. like, you know, every time we change over to a new game, we would give it like you know, a little a little subtitle. Like we, we joked like about say about calling it like Thetis FM or some shit for when we did Dragon Age. And right. I, I feel like Nier should have been serving Replicant. Mm. But it would have to then be parentheses. Ken is saying this. Because <laughs> <laughs> disclaimer, <laughs> disclaimer, disclaimer. Yeah, disclaimer. Um, obviously, we're here today to talk more about Near Replicant. But first, a little programming note. As you might notice, this episode's coming in a little bit late. Oops, our bad. Uh, I was on vacation and we could not really find a good time to record. Uh, so that's kind of my early way of prefacing that. We are still dedicating ourselves to recording this season and recording it in a timely manner. That being said, oh boy, this is probably the busiest release season mm-hmm. I've ever mm-hmm. experienced as a professional games journalist. Uh, mm-hmm. Same for Kenneth Shepard. Both of us, we work in, if you don't know, we work in the games media during our day jobs and it has never been busier. It's also just been very like socially busy, profe- like personally busy for a lot of us. I've got like weddings and stuff that I'm going to. Ken, you've been living it up in the Big Apple. Like mm-hmm. our our lives are more active now than they've ever been, and our professional lives are more demanding now than they've ever been. Uh, which is our way of saying that, like, yes, we are recording these episodes. We're going to try and hold ourselves to some level of standard and getting these things together. But basically, the recording schedule is going to be kind of wonky for near replicant. We are going to try and get the well, I, I say near replicant, maybe even near automata. We're not sure yet, <laughs> but uh, we're kind of moving on to what I like to call the YouTuber schedule, which is. We, we put the pods out when they're done, when they're ready. Uh, we're not necessarily going to be releasing on a firmly regular basis all the time. We are going to attempt to hit our regular publication times, but we're not always going to be able to do that. And so just you know, be aware. There's going to be some wonkiness. We'll try and keep you all abreast of it as it happens, but uh, these episodes are going to hit when they hit, as they hit. And if you want them as soon as they're done being edited, you can head over to patreon.com slash normdfm where you can uh, back there and you'll get access to them as soon as they're edited. And otherwise, they'll kind of just be going up uh, when it makes most sense for them to go up and when we're done with them and and all that kind of stuff. So still, I would still say it's like definitely still the plan to have two a month like we've always been having. I think like it's not Mm -hmm. always going to be Wednesday at noon Eastern every two weeks as it always has been just because like, like you said, like. Shit's happening. Personally, I'd, I'd rather be like talking about Baldur's Gate. I haven't played all of that shit in the course between the last episode and this one, because that's just been like our lives the past however many weeks at this point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. September, I got like the Pokemon DLC and the Cyberpunk expansion. Like, I'm about to be very busy again for for like an entire month and once again. So yeah, just bear with us. We, we don't plan for this to be like a regular issue, but it is going to be maybe less stringent on the exact date and time that it goes up, but still trying to keep it to the amount of episodes that y'all are used to uh, within that time frame. 
but we're also looking at doing a little bit of extra stuff on the side too for the normandy feed as ken mentioned baldur's gate 3 did just come out and cyberpunk phantom liberty is coming out uh we are currently planning on doing special episodes for both of those potentially with guests we'll figure it out as we kind of put all that together but um Baldur's Gate 3 just makes sense for us to get together and record an episode on Ken we probably should have talked about this and maybe we can just have a little moment here at the top of the show mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to have a mini bio bit even uh about the Bioware layoffs because yeah. that feels like something we should probably talk about but before we get to that um we'll, we'll probably do very special episodes of uh Baldur's Gate 3 and Cyberpunk Phantom Liberty just because obviously those are coverage areas near and dear to our heart I've also been reading uh the cyberpunk novel so i'll probably fold that into whatever mm. phantom liberty stuff we end up doing but uh, i'm looking forward to checking that out as well and being able to the, to talk about that but um do we want to like briefly talk about the bioware layoffs before we get into near replicate yeah uh, i mean if we're um, not going to give it a full episode which i don't think we have like the 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 and, content there to do its own episode but it's certainly worth talking about yeah we don't really have the um the the space to do a full bio bit so for those uh again we like to do this because you never know when when people are jumping onto this mm-hmm. pod um but normandy fm got its start as a like bioware focused pod first with mass effect uh, our original series that we did our uh podcast of and then we did dragon age and then jade empire uh and we even went back for the legendary edition and did special episodes about those uh we we cover bioware pretty heavily i'd say ken and i even outside of the stuff we normally cover specifically like pay a lot of attention to Bioware RPGs in general. Um, as we've talked about in previous episodes or bio bits, as we call them, uh, we, we like to kind of do little chat over episodes to talk about whatever special topics spring up around uh this studio that we follow so heavily. And so the news that, that broke earlier this week as we were recording this is that Bioware uh, is eliminating approximately 50 roles. Um, They are uh, laying people off in what... uh, I'm pulling up the the statement right now. What General Manager Gary McKay says in the effort to make them a more agile company, um, which a more agile and more focused studio, which is kind of a buzzword you'll hear a lot in corporate America as a way of saying hey we're laying people off um Mm. and we want this to sound good (laughs) (laughs) um some of the people laid off include uh mary kirby who worked extensively on um on dragon age wrote uh wrote varic tethris wrote uh a bunch of like like very popular characters and and scenes in the Dragon Age series specifically and and it was probably directly responsible for a lot of the stuff you'd like from that. Uh, Lucas Christensen also fired uh, one of the longest running writers and narrative workers mm. at uh, Bioware, uh, who had I believe had been there since Baldur's Gate One, uh, mm. had been around for ages, worked on a lot of incredible stuff, uh, including writing Minsk who recently reappeared in Baldur's Gate 3 and was a Baldur's Gate 1 and 2 favorite basically considered the de facto mascot of that series alongside his little miniature giant space hamster Boo uh and Joker the the pilot of the Normandy 
also worked on the uh as as david gator who used to work there is now at summerfall games um gator says that christensen also masterminded act two of dragon age 2 the air shock stuff um that's and, part of the game wrote, and wrote the showdown with corypheus at haven for for uh inquisition i believe right um mm. it's <sighs> the vibes are bad the vibes are bad and like so there there's been a thing that i read earlier this week that has just been bouncing around in my head as this news came down uh i just mentioned this today on acts of the blood god which i recorded earlier today and i'll, I'll reiterate it here that uh studios when you say you love a studio like be specific because the the thing you love about the games you play are is not necessarily from a studio so when i say i love Mm. bioware games that doesn't mean that the entity bioware created that bioware is not a singular entity it is a place where people work and people made those games that we love and enjoy and those people were just laid off Mm -hmm. in an effort to which really defies all understanding and comprehension, try to make a more agile studio, but laying off a narrative team this heavily with so much senior talent, especially uh, just seems incredibly short-sighted. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, like <laughs> you have to now feel not just for the people who have been let go, but the people who are left behind to try and pick up the pieces and pick up what is a pretty massive mantle and do more with less at a time where a lot of talent that could have been fostered and nurtured there is is now forced to try and put things together. Um, I know I've been in experiences before where it's like losing senior talent has an effect on the younger talent because now the mm-hmm. younger talent has to step up and is losing a lot of the the mentorship and leadership that they would have had there previously. It's not just about losing talent. It's about losing the thing that creates more talent. Like, like talent begets talent. And mm. uh, on top of all that, Dreadwolf in limbo, basically. Uh, mm. Mass Effect, probably not anywhere near being released anytime or even soon. Shown for, this, for that matter. Yeah, yeah. It's like Elder Scrolls 6 level of maybe we said this too soon. Mm. <laughs> uh, and I'm really left here wondering what the hell EA is doing with Bioware, especially in the wake of Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, Mm -hmm. Baldur's Gate 3 was a game that happened and came out and made such an impact because Larian retained talent, retained its studio, built year over year, game over game, up to Baldur's Gate 3. Like, this does not happen in a vacuum. You don't just hand a project to a team and say, make Baldur's Gate 3. In some ways, Larian probably needed to make DOS 1 and 2 just to, like, be able to make Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, And the same thing goes for a lot of other studios, the Zelda team, the FromSoft team. Mm -hmm. You don't make incredible pillars of gaming the way that they do without building up to it. And that seems to be something that Electronic Arts has never understood. Mm -hmm. And this is where we get into the big blinking sign behind me that says capitalism and Mm -hmm. labor and uh this is and so all of your ire uh if you're coming at this from a youtube perspective and and think that this is about devs not being able to put together a game like Baldur's gate 3 because they don't want to no they want to it's but this is the shit that happens that prevents them from doing it that that Mm -hmm. makes it more difficult for them to do it 
So direct your ire accordingly. Mm-hmm. Um, Ken, what are your thoughts? I'm of a lot of minds because like it is a very multifaceted situation. Because like there is like for, you know from the I think the most important thing obviously is like the human element of like people that have been working at that studio for a long time are now jobless and now in a like one of the most like fucking fraud job markets that is basically like in recorded history at this point. Yeah, like you said, there's a lot to what we know the merits of having like senior level talent that has been there and has been through the history of the the studio that can you know both like ha- like has a certain amount of wisdom to the things that they do, but they also just like have an understanding of the history of the place that they have been at for so long and know have have seen like the various accomplishments and also shortcomings of that studio and has learned from it and is able to do things better and not repeat the same mistakes. And, and, and none of that actually matters to somebody that's like on a like looking at shit on a fucking spreadsheet and making decisions completely divorced of the actual context in which that person has existed within the studio and mainly cared about like how do I make number of money spent go down. It also you know from a, from a public facing standpoint, it's such a weird time for Bioware to be having more bad news. Um, after because like we've still not seen Dreadwolf in motion. Uh, right. The only thing we've, we've, or at least not in a, um, an officially sanctioned yeah. capacity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, after you know, there were there were the leaks and you know the various things that mm-hmm. people took took from that and talked about. But as far as like Bioware and EA showing like, hey, this is the thing that is real and it's something that we were actually going to put out anytime soon, uh, they have not done that. And all if all we're hearing is, and we also have laid off a bunch of people, including senior talent who has been at the studio and has kind of been at the heart of what makes these games meaningful to people. Uh, it's not a great look. I don't want to, like, and we've talked, we talked about this last time that there was, like, major personnel changes over at Bioware. It's like, I don't want to doomsay because, obviously, like, game, as we said, games are made by hundreds of people and no one person makes a right project. But you gotta, like, I, you imagine that optics are still something, like, worth considering when you make decisions like this. When you have had a studio that has been for, I mean, almost nine years now, like, I mean, whatever your opinion on Inquisition, like, I think broadly time was kind to that game in terms of, like, it was very well recognized in 2014 as, like, you know, this still, like, crowning achievement for the studio that won a lot of awards, sold a lot of copies, and... But everything since then has been very fraught. Mass Effect Andromeda, Anthem, which they put a lot of time into trying to salvage and then ultimately ended up not doing that. I... And obviously, like, I don't know this is going to happen. I would love for it not to happen. I would be very surprised if something does not happen to that studio that results in the next Mass Effect maybe not even coming out. And I don't know if that means that the studio is going to get shut down, which I don't want to, like, again, I like, don't want to doomsay about that, but I, I just feel like the pipeline for that studio seems so fraught at this point that I feel like they're, it, it's very optimistic i think to be looking forward to the next project when the one that you're, you've been working on for almost a decade now has been such a fucking mess from uh outside perspective and you know again like you said maybe this is an example of like somebody announcing something far too early because i i think absolutely they announced that game too early and i think it was coming off you know a lot of bad news out of that studio and a lot of people kind of like looking for something that felt like a return to imagine safety like oh mass effect you know the original trilogy is like just gangbusters for that studio they remastered all of them and it made a lot of money and they're going to go back to the milky way and you know here's what they are that character that you like from the thing from 15 years ago um the entire like that that's the kind of like 
announcement you make when things are not like when public perception is not very good. It's right. you know like this sort of um thing like you know oh that's not even like to say like oh they're trying to direct away from any specific bad news. I think it's just like people are wondering like what's up with that studio? What is like the state of them? And then they're like okay, but what if we really appeal to basically like to nostalgia because I mean it's, it's weird to say like nostalgia for the Mass Effect trilogy when I mean it's still not that old but I guess like 10 years ago is like about, about now is when people start feeling nostalgia for something um I mean uh, that that yeah. nostalgia exists because like I think you see it in Baldur's Gate I think you see it in the way that I, I feel like you and I have talked a lot about wanting a game that recaptures that Bioware feeling because mm-hmm. we just have not had one of those in a pretty long time and also the news around that studio keeps getting pretty dire mm-hmm. <laughs> and it is a case of like concern. Are we going to have something like this again? I, I do as everyone tries to dissect why BG three had such a huge breakout. Mm-hmm. I think more than anyone expected it to, that is a latent part of it is, is that we have not had one of these kinds of games in a long time. Mm-hmm. We had yeah. Greedfall. And- <laughs> yeah, I mean, which I mean, it had ideas, but some of them were not like something you should have put some of the idea phase onto a fucking disc. Not, to set up, not ideas to set you should people. have. Yeah. Um, Look forward to the Greedfall yeah. season of Normandy. <laughs> I mean, they got a sequel coming out, so it's going to be timely. Um, but to clarify, we're not doing Greedfall. Um, but yeah, like I just I, I feel for everyone involved because. Like when you've got you know people that had such like a rich history with that studio to have them basically kicked out of you know their like not of their volition like they didn't leave on the terms that they probably wanted to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it it feels shit it it feels shit to look back like I mean it's gonna like I, I don't remember who it was it, it might have actually been Natalie Flores um, who was talking about like they're gonna be promoting Dreadwolf with Varric having just like kicked out the person responsible for that beloved character yep and that. Like it feels like you know parading a corpse out to remind people of like why they, like why they like the thing that they're trying to sell, because like, I I think whatever, Dreadwolf ends up being I think like is going to be one of the most like storied, kind of like development stories of like probably any game of its scale, because like I mean you can imagine like the, the Jason Schreier expose on hmm, yeah. the entirety of Dragon Age Dreadwolf's development from twenty. 14, 15, after they finished Inquisition to now, like, and it, it, also, like, this, um, internal delay that we're hearing about, re- hearing reports about, that game's gonna be an entire decade after the last game, which is, yep. like, wild to think about. Like, there are so few franchises, I think, that have, like, the same power to be gone that long, and then, like, launch in a way that is as big as it feels like Dreadwolf needs to be for Bioware. Like, what, what's, like, the longest gap you can think of of another series of that scale that was like half-life but that's probably about it and that's yeah and that's, that and that's fucking like valve. the exception to the rule yeah right like when when it's a studio and a company that can like afford to do that because of like their you know mind share of and like, like kind of like they're kind of untouchable in a way that it doesn't feel like clearly it's not like bioware is not untouchable in the way that a lot of people would like to be because look at what has happened yeah it's um it it's bizarre and to the point that like you know you remember the era of ea is the worst thing that's ever happened to video gaming and all that Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. it it feels like ea has maybe been 
garnering some goodwill back. You know, they, mm-hmm. they got Respawn, and Respawn's doing great, and Respawn's mm-hmm. working really hard. Like, <laughs> Respawn's trying. And I was willing to, like, start to give them the benefit of the doubt that, you know, alongside them being like, hey, we want, you know, Bioware to, to focus up and, and mm-hmm. don't work on any of this live service bullshit anymore. Go work on mm-hmm. your, your next big RPG. Get to work on it. Make Dragon Age. And mm-hmm. now they just got rid of the people who make Dragon Age. They're not the only people who make Dragon Age, but it's it's demoralizing for those who are still there yeah. and a huge blow you know losing a lot of the people who made that stuff happen and it's intensely frustrating and it, it makes you really see again like these are the problems that plague modern gaming like mm-hmm. these are the issues it's it's not even that like devs are scared or can't do something it's that they their hands are bound by these companies that Mm -hmm. quite honestly do not care about right like the quality of a game or delivering something that fans would even want it's it's about filling segments of a pie and return on investment and it is all just you know build bigger to try and grab larger they want another apex they want another i mean battlefield was an absolute disaster but like part of the battlefield disaster was uh, the fact that uh, it, they, in my opinion, as someone who played that video game, spread themselves too thin, chasing mm-hmm. trends that no longer exist in the gaming industry. And yeah. uh, I, I mean, this isn't even new for Mass Effect. Mass Effect, I think, is actually a, a prime example of one of the times that an EA studio had its hands bound, you know, trying to make something that was chasing a trend and made the best of it with Mass Effect 3 multiplayer, which was riddled with loot boxes and shit, but was mm-hmm. also like some of the best PV co-op I've ever played in my life. And mm. this is a team that has weathered the storm and you can't weather this. I, mm. I, I feel really sorry for everyone who is there and trying to do well. And again, like Ken said, I'm not trying to doomsay. I do want to give whatever Dreadwolf is an honest shot, but my concern is less about the quality of any single video game that comes out and more about whether this team which could create an excellent rpg will even be around and able to exist and make more Mm. rpgs whether whether the conditions to make rpgs will exist or whether they're going to have unrealistic expectations put on them by people who do not give them the tools to succeed and then we just see the continued slow decay of one of the titans of the genre and Mm. that sucks yeah that really sucks if that if that radicalizes you, let it rad- radicalize mm. you, you know, like this is, yeah. this is, I think one of the biggest problems in the industry right now. And it's why we see so many, I mean, look at the film industry. Like we are seeing labor mm. respond to the bad practices that have caused so many terrible things in these industries. And we're seeing I, one other part that I want to note of this statement from McKay. Uh, it wasn't even in the statement from McKay. I believe it was in later reporting from venture beat that, they're going to stop working with the keywords QA studio, which recently unionized and like, Hey, Oh boy, hmm. that's not a great look either. A, a shit look. <laughs> yeah. And you just, you, you have to wonder like, when is the rubber going to hit the road? And I think for EA, it's, it's just this company is trying to maximize profit in a place where, they could be having something incredible on their hands. They should have their own answer to Baldur's Gate 3, but 
they haven't set a studio up to have that kind of success. They've mm. set it up to spend a decade e- fucking trying to fix shit. Yeah, even if it does succeed, it would be in spite of anything that EA has done for it. So yeah. they they say in the statement that we're excited for you all to see what we've been building with Dreadwolf. A core veteran team led by Mike Gamble continues their pre-production work on the next Mass Effect. Boy, you gotta wonder how much narrative work that's gotten in there, because they just lost a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, our commitment to quality continues to be our North Star. As cliche as this sounds, there truly is never a good time to enact changes like this, but we trust that we have the right leaders and team in place with a vision, passion, and proven track records to deliver world-class Dragon Age and Mass Effect experiences that our fans will love. Experience with Pearl, huh? Yeah, and it's... Everything about this screams like, we're going to strip mine these properties for whatever money we can get out of them and continue to Mm -hmm. gut Bioware. Um, yeah. I've, I've even heard some like speculation uh, that like, oh, this could be a sign that EA is thinking about selling Bioware by slimming it down. And I mean, honestly, please. But even then, if they sell it to something else, it's going to take a while for that to ever build back up. And they'd have to try and convince talent to come back. And it's you know, like, like what Bioware is of yesterday, if it wasn't already gone is mm-hmm. is now completely fundamentally different and yeah uh that's a real shame it's 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 a real shame to see what ea has done to this company over the yeah. span of 10 or so years yeah and it's like honestly one of the it's something that i reflect on a lot i don't i don't think i was on like the ea has ruined bioware train for a long time because like i think like you know certainly there were things that i did not agree with or that were very questionable and i don't think would have happened prior to that acquisition but I largely felt like the games they put out still had that like heart and spirit to them that is like so synonymous with the studio, even in spite of all the other troubles they had. I think now more than ever, I am I'm I'm pretty convinced that what well, wasn't necessarily put this. I'm I'm pretty convinced that like any hopes or like optimism I had about what the next Mass Effect is going to be, I'm kind of like I think I'm deading those feelings now just because. It's not even indicative of, like, any specific person that is no longer at the studio, but it is, as the studio continues to work through its various situations it's having right now, uh, it's just becoming clear that I think Mass Effect and Dragon Age are just these things that are going to be put on, like, in a fucking assembly line, that they just want to get out regardless of any sort of larger ramifications that it has to those franchises, any, any sort of um, larger philosophies that I think that those games had at one point. And that's, that's, that's a shame to, like, I think, lose so much hope in what I, what felt like, at least in Mass Effect's case, like, felt like it had, like, a very cohesive vision of what it meant to be a Mass Effect game. And mm-hmm. now I'm just, like, kind of... I, I, I just don't really feel like that integrity can last in a company that is just gutting, you know, the heart and soul of a, of a studio. Yeah, um... You know, our, our, our thoughts to those who are, are on the job market, hopefully you can find a place that, that values you and your, your talents. Um, you know, it's we it's difficult. I mean, <laughs> we've both been there. Mm-hmm. And we hope what you a can find a, yeah, we hope you can find a place that values you and your talents and that those at, at Bioware can continue to try and do the best work that they can under the conditions they, they are under. Um, it just really sucks. And yeah. uh, we, we really feel for all those affected. And yeah, 
keep an eye out for, for more news on that i guess mm. you think we're gonna get a dragon age trailer at the game awards this year i feel like they have to um both because like if they... jeff Keeley's gonna roll out there and be like electronic arts has brought you the latest thrilling trailer <laughs> I, I think he will do his utmost to not say electronic arts's name in that presentation um but yeah, like I feel like they be... only took him a year to put Modern Warfare Three back up on the big stage. Is all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely think like they have to start talking about Dreadwolf in a substantial way now. Um, from all the bad news, it's just like it's been too fucking long. If like if that game is even considering sometime next year, which I I I have faith that we will probably see Dreadwolf next year. Like I think it will come out next year. I don't know what state it will be in. I don't know if it'll be any good. I think that game will come out next year because I think it has to. Um, yeah, at this point, like any longer, and it's going to start getting weird. It's going to start like the. I mean, the it's already been weird. It's ten years. The writing that's already on the walls will be more apparent than Left for mm-hmm. Dead graffiti. You know, mm-hmm. like it's. It's, it's like it's, oh, it's now weird. we realize it's written in blood. Yeah, yeah, it's like the the dead space wall markings. You know. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Instead of like shoot their limbs, it's like Dreadwolf coming soon. <laughs> Solus will return. <laughs> oh, let's talk about Near. Let's talk about Near Replicant. Yeah. Uh, speaking of giant shambling shades that uh, are going to unleash their their darkness upon us, um, in Near Replicant, we have just finished the uh, the junk heap, the this the tale of two brothers, as it were. Uh, and as we exit, our, our floating book friend Vice is like, hey, let's let's go back to the airy. They got shades there. They might have more sealed verses. And so we're like, yeah, sure, let's show up. I, I forgot. I literally, before we started this episode, I had to pull that part of uh, like a long play up and rewatch it because I could not remember what the the reason for going back to the airy for this particular thing was. And I so thought we got it was the upgrade. Like, oh, you get you get sent there or whatever. It's like no, you, Weiss is just like, hey, j- let's go. Like, I, I think yeah, there might well, be more story there. <laughs> so I mean, I, I think the like, and now that we're talking about it, it's coming back to me. I think the the idea was like we got the upgrade from the brothers, so now we may, might be able to fight that shade that we fought with Kaine earlier, and it might actually go in our favor. Even though I was like kicking that thing's ass, and then like that just cutscene magic went away. Um, uh, so I think that was the framing. Well, this we, is what happens we, when we take this long to get to, to an episode. I, yeah, I forget everything yeah. about that. Uh, we, we get to the Aerie, uh, and Kaine is there fighting some shielded shades. This is when they start getting uh, their, their shields and stuff. It's, it's mm-hmm. interesting. So I can't just um, shoot them. Yeah, you can't just shoot all of them. You can't just keep blasting, Ken. <laughs> mm. um, we, we take them out, and Kaine tells us that they are overtaking the town. Uh, so we... We we basically start taking out a bunch of shades, trying to help the area out. Um, and as we head over to the bridged area, the big old gecko shade shows back up, and it is massive. It is definitely bigger than you first remember it being. Ken, it, that man has ball sacks on his chin. Yeah, he got balls on his chin. He's a ball like, champion. Several, like more than one. Do you remember that joke from Men in Black one or two? One of those. I I had not seen this movie so. Oh, you've not seen the Men in Black movies. They're all right. Not in like any um, like substantial movies. I've seen like bits and pieces. Uh, I I actually think it's a underrated role of Tommy Lee Jones. Uh, mm-hmm. He's he's pretty good in those movies. Dang, I kind of want to watch Men in Black again. Can't believe this is doing that to me. Um, 
but no, it, they're solid movies. But there's one of them where uh, Will Smith's character tries to like kick a guy in the nads, and it doesn't work. And the guy like laughs at him, and then Tommy Lee Jones is like, "He's a bald chinian." And so the Will Smith's character like reaches over and pulls down the guy's scarf, and he's got a ball sack hanging from his chin, and Good so he Lord. punches him in the nuts. Yeah, mm. <laughs> in the I, chin oh, nuts. <laughs> my my brain went to the South Park episode where they had. Oh, where the, the wheelbarrows and they were mm-hmm. bouncing on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, South Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> what a stage of my life to have been watching that show. Look forward to the Normandy FM season. Of <laughs> the, the, the fractured bubble. <laughs> finally, finally, the people have been asking. Mm-hmm. Uh, Always saying this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and yes, also at this point, we we know that that Kine has got a little, little bit of a sailor's mouth. You know, a little, little bit of a potty mouth. Uh, that this is like if you ever want to hear Laura Bailey say like every curse word under the sun, it is in mm. this video game. Uh, but we attack this big old boss, have a big old boss fight with this with this gecko, um, fighting all across the town. Uh, is this the one where you like go across the the little uh, platforming area that's like on the cliffside? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, it's it's pretty good. I, I like this fight. It, it's one of the first ones that really feels like, along with the the robot fight in the junk heap, where it feels like we're starting to get into those sorts of big bosses that you expect mm-hmm. out of uh, out of near. And mm-hmm. as as we're going, some of the villagers call Kine a half breed uh, and starts yelling yelling at her, and she's like, "It's true," but we don't really get really any further exposition on what exactly that means and stuff. We do know that she's got something going on with her arm. She's got that shade thing going on, but no real time for explanation here. Cause we keep fighting. We got to take care of these explosives and fight. And how, how did you feel about this battle? Ken as like a big boss fight in, in the area. Uh, I think it was better. And like, I, I think I even said this at some point, I think the, the bosses are just like more in like, Obviously, like by design, they are just like the more interesting combat encounters in this game. Because I, even with the shades feeling like a step up from all the the bots you fight in Automata, I'm, I'm like still largely kind of put to sleep by a lot of the combat in this game. Um, and I think like honestly, like not even just this fight, but like the section we're gonna talk about today, I think with some of the better like riffs on the ideas and like all the verbs that you have to use in this game, um, and the fight with one of those. What was the uh, shoot? Because, like, I had, um, like, the, the moments where, like, you change perspective, and I, I, I do like that, where, like, just the, the fundamental way that you navigate combat is just, like, changing just by, by a shift of the camera, um, and that's, that's, like, a near thing, and, like, to see that implemented well into a boss fight was interesting. Yeah, this is a pretty long boss fight, like, there are a lot of stages to it that we'll, we'll kind of briefly go through, but you're doing all these, like, these turret things, and you're hitting different weak points and you're moving around the town. And this is definitely like one of the longer boss fights, I would say, Mm. but it is uh, kind of an interesting one because as it's going, we're, we're kind of getting some background on Kaine. Uh, We get this moment where the, the monster is like fighting with Kaine and Kaine is like saying it's her grandma or something, but she's actually Mm -hmm. the Avenger grandma. And, um, says she's always wanted to avenge her grandma's death. She was the only person who helped her feel comfortable in this quote unquote mutant body that she has. Um, and they, they keep fighting and eventually bring 
down this the shadow um and then we finally mm. what's up uh, we'll, we'll, I'll get to you when we get to the end of the theme. I have like questions about Kanye, I guess. Oh, go for it. Yeah, yeah. So we finally get to the end of it. Um, we we take down the the shadow. Um, Kanye is is out on the platform, lying there unconscious. Weiss says she uh, probably wants to die where she's lying, and we should let her. So near, it's like no, we should help her out. We should go uh, catch up with her. We finally reach her, uh, and we see. Kind of floating in a void, uh, talking to her grandmother, asking her to rest. Then the light shines, and Nier is heard saying she has more to live for. Uh, I, I want to say this. I don't think this is an addition for Replicant, but I know there is some kind of stuff that I think got expanded on in Replicant, mm-hmm. like this this specific version. But um, she she asks what she has to live for. She wanted to revenge but now that revenge is taken um and and you're just like hey we're friends now you you can help us like it's all good um and they they bicker and, and quarrel weiss is not helpful at all <laughs> and, yeah i would say like white sucks for like a character that seems to be like having some like degree of like suicide ideation and it's like just like uh more more total than than she's worth and i'm like oh this is not like like, I, I liked a lot of, like, the, the bickering and, like, the clear, like, clash of vibes, I guess, between Nier and, and Weiss. But, like, that was just, like, a lot of, like, why are you so uncaring about someone who hasn't, like, really done anything to you? Like, like I mean, yeah, like, she is she is vulgar and she is, like, not necessarily friendly, but, like, to deserve death or to, like, be not, like, worth even just, like, reaching a hand out to is just, like... That that sucked. I'm, I don't really get like the inherent hostility this book feels toward her. Feels toward yeah, her. it's a little it's a little unclear right now. I would say, um, maybe always unclear. Um, mm. But but you know, it's is it's, he just like angry at everybody just like as a default? I think, so I think he largely like like my my interpretation of Weiss has always been like he just see is very indifferent to humanity. Like he's kind of that sort of higher ascended being quote unquote. And so he doesn't really see humanity at mm-hmm. least when you first meet him, like he considers humanity very beneath him and all that. So, sure. um, I, I mean, you get that from the way he like is grandiose about himself, right? He's like, I am right. Weiss. I'm, I'm the, the book. I, I have all the magic and stuff like that. Um, and we'll see how that, that changes over the course of this, this game. But, Kanye volunteers says these swords need a home that you'll do for now. Uh, we, we fill her in about Yona and the black scrawl and we're, that we're looking for sealed verses to cure her. Um, and, and Kanye's not sure uh, if any of this will help, but she does know someone who has the disease, uh, the king of facade, a kingdom deep in the desert. Um, and, and when we, we got to pass through the village to get to where we're going. Uh, and at the entrance, uh, Kanye's like, Hey, I'll wait outside. Uh, and, and we're like, Hey, what do you, what do you mean? We'll wait outside. Right? Cause we got to go into like get directions and get to where we're going. And, and she's like, ah, oh, don't worry. I'll just meet you at whatever exit you leave from. Uh, mm. so yeah, I'll put a little yeah. pin in that. So this is something that was like, I, I put down as a joke, but it's like something that I'm like, I'm now like thinking about since I read it. So when I was playing, I realized that kind of Naruto runs, you know, with her arms like behind her. Um, mm-hmm. and so like, I, I was thinking like, we call that Naruto running. Like, what is the, the origin of that style of running? Because honestly, like, the furthest back stuff that I remember is, like, 
Sonic, because that's like his default run, or at least it was. I don't know if it is. I can't immediately remember if it was, if it is now. But like that was his default run for like the the Dreamcast era was to like run with his arms behind his back. Um, and I'm just like wondering like where does that originate from? Like what we call it Naruto running, and I guess it's because it's like that is one of the like the longest running, most visible versions of that. So, but, I I it has existed for some time. Um, and it obviously existed before Naruto. I think Sonic mm-hmm. might be an example of it, but I, I do think Naruto, um, is is maybe like the most prevalent example. Um, it also, there, there are a ton of like stuff online about people trying to f- find the original, you know, mm-hmm. where where it got created, how it got created. But I do think Naruto is is where it became a thing. I think it's, like, now that I'm, like, thinking about it, it's probably also the point where that happened with, like, the right generation for it to become, like, a memetic thing. Yes. Because, um, like, millennials, like, that grew up watching that show, like, make it a joke, and then it becomes a thing that spreads online, and that, like, you know, becomes the vernacular in which we talk about that kind of thing. Um, mm, interesting. What a, what a weird thing for me to be pontificating on right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh... Yeah, so you want to ask some things about Kaine. I think this is a good place yeah. to do so. So, it's, it's a few things because, and I, I, obviously this is probably going to be revealed at a later point. It's just like, mm-hmm. a lot of the ways that people talk about Kaine, I don't feel like I understand yet. They're like, okay, she's a half-breed. And I was like, half-breed of what? Like, now that I'm like thinking about it, like, is she like human and shade? That's like the only other like species or something that I, I can imagine her, like, possibly be, like, human and also shade. Like, that's the only thing that, like, makes sense to me right now. And that's just a theory based on nothing other than I don't know what else. Like, I don't feel like there's been any other form of life that could hypothetically, like, create a person. Mm. Hmm. I, I, I guess that's just, like, another thing of, like, I don't feel like I'd, I... I still, at this point, don't feel like I have a great grasp of, like, the world of near... Uh, mm. as it pertains to, like, replicants specifically, not automata. Um, well, I mean, cause, I, I will tell you now that they're the same place. They're the same world. Right, but it, it does feel like they have, like, different, like, aspects to their world building and lore and... Uh, which, I mean, yes, like, it exists in automata, but in terms of, like... Because, like, immediately my, my brain would go to, like, half human, half cyborg, if that was said in automata. Um, mm, as opposed right, to right. here, I don't know what like the second part of a person can be that would be that would be called a half breed for. Um, so it's an, it's an interesting question. Mm. One we may, you know, continue to learn more about as the video game goes on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but one thing I will say that I do like, and, and I don't think this is too much of a spoiler to say this at this point, um, because we've had our like second instance of it. The thing I like about Replicant is that it feels like you get an adventuring party. Uh, that was mm-hmm. something that I felt was missing a lot in Automata. Even mm-hmm. when you, you had 9S for like 9S and 2B are together for a lot of those sections. Mm-hmm. But like, I broadly think that those games are pretty like lonely affairs, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like you, mm-hmm. you are kind of by yourself in those worlds a lot of the time and then occasionally have uh, a companion. But... I, I think one thing that Replicant does that I do like is having a party that moves with you. So you have, you know, first Nier and Vice and now Nier, Vice and Kaine. 
and and you get to kind of hear them interact and we get some of that as we head to facade and um we have them kind of talking back and forth and, and that's the other thing is like it makes the the traveling that you do by foot kind of a little mm-hmm. bit more bearable because you're getting these hints of story as you're going from place to place i think replicant actually does a very good job of discussing story while you're moving between mm-hmm. areas uh in a way that feels very natural but also not like toss away and sure. uh i like the as strange as a boorish woman who fights monsters in her undergarments um but we we head in head to the desert area uh the desert biome of this world and fight some wolves and see a shade wolf in the distance uh that that we guess is probably the pack leader of some kind uh, and then we reach facade the gate is sealed but kind just uh, walks up to the gate waves and the guards get excited and let her in we learn that she had uh apparently saved a kid from a pack of wolves and uh facade has since welcomed her uh to, to come inside and, and hang out but she's also like i i can't really understand anything that they say so we we get an idea that there are still different languages spoken in this world this, mm. this strange post-apocalyptic i guess you would say like post-societal world um i don't really know post what you would disaster of some kind post-disaster of some kind yeah like like there are definitely I, like all the buildings in in Nier's village are clearly like old buildings that used to exist in some sort of modern world in the past but have now been overgrown and repurposed uh the the shrine we go to at the beginning of the game is very clearly like an old office building of some kind mm. that has been completely ransacked and repurposed. Uh, Damn, you think we could ask Nier what happened in those 1,000 years between now and the, the prologue and he could just tell us what happened? Maybe, you know, if only the player could talk to Nier, you mm-hmm. know? Like, I, I, just, I, I got some questions. Um, so we, we also see a structure off in the distance and, and speculate that it's uh, the king's manor. <laughs> um, how did you feel about the city of Facade? So, uh, I'll say, okay, so, so two things. Mm-hmm. One, I thought the, the city itself was interesting. Like, I'll, I'll start with a good thing. I, I thought the city itself was interesting in terms of, like, them using... Like they they managed to like do world building in terms of like with the structure of the environment that they've made because like you come in and you learn that these people have like thousands of rules that they have to adhere to, um and it plays into things like where people live like on this like seemingly inexplainable city in terms of like how it's structured of like you know you've got this like sand uh, river for lack of a better term uh, that you kind of like go. Th- that you get on and it's kind of like circles around constantly and you that's how you get around public transportation yeah and that's that's neat but like we love apparently like certain yeah and then, and then like certain people are like not allowed to live above other people so like you've got this thing that is built downward and people live in certain places based on like I, basically like their class like you know it, it's like mm-hmm. certain professions are allowed to live on one level, but are not allowed to live above other you know, other professions, and you know it it's like so incomprehensible. But like they have made thousands of rules to justify all of those things, um, and that's just like an interesting sort of way of understanding a culture that you're kind of just passing through. Like by like literally by existing in this world, you have to experience the other culture just by like the very nature of the way it's built, which is very cool. 
my negative <laughs> my negative experience with it was just like the act of having to which we haven't talked about her yet but like with the character well let's, let's introduce her first yeah fira so we meet fira uh who kind of gives us the tour around the city um fira is someone who's um Weiss can uh, interpret the sign language that she's using, basically. I think we, if I remember right, it is like Fira speaks to Vice and then Vice like translates mm-hmm. for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it, it's a cool little, again, situation where it's these different languages and stuff that are intersecting. Uh, but also Fira is this, this character who's kind of showing us around town because we are required to see all of the town if we want to shop there. Um, and I, I, I like this character a lot. Uh, I'm, I'm going to fist fight her. Mm, okay. That's fair. Look, you gotta, you gotta toward the town. You just, you gotta, so like, you gotta this vibe. is rules do my, my, not exist to bind you. They exist. So you may know your freedom. Shut the fuck up. Uh, so <laughs> they, it's a it's an annoying thing that some video games do where like you'll have to follow a character around and they are slower than your character. That is one problem. Like there were points where I was literally just like circling her because I was waiting for her to get where I needed to go. And then the game does this annoying fucking thing where like if you stand in front of her while she's walking, instead of walking around you, she like the entire game stops and Weiss is like, it seems we're in the way. And then you just walk like a, an inch to the right so she will be able to keep going on her underground path she's and, supposed to be leading you and then it happens at like the fucking most ridiculous times where like it, it's like, like by a fucking pixel and then the entire game just fucking stops and you gotta skip through the dialogue and you gotta move out of her way and then it happens like the, the we'll get to later where we leave the city and we are like in you know the, the pseudo open world area trying to get to a new place and Again, like, you, you can't run faster than her, or fucking wife will be like, oh, it seems we're leaving her behind. I was like, you're damn right I'm leaving her behind. I can't fucking walk as slow as she does. And then, again, like, you'll be in the middle of a fucking fight, at, like, defending her. And then the game's like, it seems we're in the way. And you know what? Maybe I should just, like, pick her up and throw her in the direction that we need to go. Instead of being constantly like, in this fucking loop of being told to get out of her way when I'm just trying to like not have to stand still. Um, this, so that's season, not really even a problem. The season is an intervention. We're trying to teach you patience in gameplay. And, and I don't have it. <laughs> this is the unstoppable force meets the immovable mm-hmm. object. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, yeah. so like she's fine. Like it's, it's very cute. I like it. But also like I'm busy. I got places to be. I got a sister to cure. I mean, and I'll tell you, this a, is like the one time in the game you do this. It mm, never happens mm, again. Mm, and I, I'm not going to say it's like done for some profound reason, but I do think. I mean, like, like to, to stop hamming it up, like I do think it actually like is meaningful because like you, you have the society that is like beholden to like thousands of rules, and you've got like one person here that's kind of like offering in whatever way they can to you know, explain these things to you, and but like it's also like so important to them that they're like, hey, I want you to come see like everything. So like you really understand every single thing that we're doing here, and that conceptually is like very cool. Because like I mean, like I said before, it's like one of the most like biggest cultural markers that this game has had thus far. Because like you know, like we said before, like a lot of it's very dilapidated, and a lot of it is mm-hmm. us kind of like picking through the post-apocalypse world that we're in. We're here. It's like, and you know, we even talked about it to bring it back to another post-apocalyptic. Thing that we talked about in the show, we talked about the Last of Us. Like, there's this idea of like 
a lot of because that is you know more grounded in, in its setting a lot of culture is like boils down to the lowest common denominator of what people basically were able to keep with them and survive with and that's why things like uh like the, the scars in seattle are like so significant because like it's, you see these other like sides of the world like adapting to new cultures and like creating new things and that's just like an interesting sort of thing that Nier is doing here and that it has probably like the first thing that feels like distinctly different from this kind of like lowest common denominator thing that like it's the village that Nier lives in um at least as far as I've got into the game there might be more that you don't know about um that I don't or that I don't know about that might kind of expand upon that side of the world in a different way that is maybe more comfortable to something like this um, so I think that's very cool, actually. Like, you know, again, like, I, I'm, I keep saying I'm going to fist fight this kid. The, the jury's still out on that. It might still happen. Um, but that is more, like, in a design standpoint in terms of, like, the game doing, like, very, like, feeling like it wastes my time in, like, very small increments in ways that make when something is, like, stopping the game. Like, that, that's when that feels worse because, like, I, you've made me spend all this time walking around this very slow child trying to teach me all these things. And that's when, it, like, those small incremental times where it makes you stop to start to, like, snowball onto each other. Well, I mean, the thing it's trying to teach you is is to follow the rules. And I think it's mm-hmm. them trying to get you to actively engage with this thing. And, and so, like, to speak broadly about, I think one thing, if I was to look at the works of, of Nier and assess what I, like, what a common theme I see between them, especially between Replicant and Automata is that Yoko Taro seems, and, and the creative team behind Nier seems very interested in the idea of what it means to perform humanity, to mm-hmm. to be human. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk more about that in the Automata season, uh, especially, but like in Replicant, we see the ways in which different societies have grown and created these um, hierarchies, these, these um, different governmental systems and ways they operate all depending on where they are, like you're saying, different cultures that have fostered. But the, these these are building out of seemingly nothing. And so we see drastically different approaches. And, and I think the ways in which we see people grapple with how they handle a world that is so... I mean, it, it's it's brutal, like, like to, to some degree. Like, I, I think we've only seen, you know, hints of it here and there. But, like... Kaine is literally talking about a girl who was attacked by wolves in the desert. Mm-hmm. And like, we saved a dude from being attacked by shades earlier. And like, I, I imagine as, as this game goes on, we'll start to see some more stuff that is like, Oh, this world is not kind. It is not even necessarily conducive to like continued existence because we, we've seen how barren it is in places. We have seen how these societies live detached from each other and and you see some travelers on the road but you don't see a lot and uh i i think it's really interesting to explore these towns and find out why things exist the way they do and how people have tried to maintain order structure civilization in the wake of nothing you know and and how that has all happened and we've seen like the good you know, that's happened. We have Nier's Village, which seems to be doing well. We have the sea uh, market, the, the, mm-hmm. the port market that, that seems to be doing quite well, though uh, maybe isn't doing right by all its citizens. Uh, well, well, we'll get to that later. But um, then you have like the junk heap where there's a lot of like deep seated 
issues with just a family that is living there. You have uh, the Airy, which is thriving somewhat, but also like clearly ostracizes people. And now we have Assad, which is also thriving, has like probably the most bustling town that we've seen next to the the port uh but also like it's got all these rules and and as we run into as we're leaving the town and we find out that the prince has gone missing inside the temple uh their their rules bind them in ways that prevent them from helping their own and near and kind are eventually just like well screw it we're outsiders we'll go take care of this because we're not bound by any rules um and so we go off to save their prince because they can't literally the people following the mm. rules cannot save the the person who's supposed to be leading them which by the way the king who had the black scroll that we were coming to visit has died and the the prince is the the heir apparent now uh that is the the story beat that <laughs> that is important going into this section but yeah we we go through the sandstorm and we're dealing with enemies and and fira uh is kind of trying to help us out um and we get to the barren temple which as you aptly assess it is giving spirit temple (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah we go through all these this is actually probably one of my favorite early game uh it's very good it's very good um it's it is an entire dungeon built around rules which feels very fitting for the Mm -hmm. facade setup right and it tells you these rules through like it's like oh leaping rabbit is forbidden and that basically means that like you can't jump here uh and so you have to like get to a specific thing and hit a switch i think it is you hit a switch um, you have to break a block break a block yeah um and that that is how you advance through the trial and it keeps introducing more and more and more so stationary owl i i think you didn't figure that one out it, it means you can't stop moving if you stop moving you fail the trial um mm-hmm and i literally uh, did not stop moving so yeah magic spewing bat evasive mouse um there's a lot of like really really interesting ones it forces you to even engage with like how do you not run (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) when you're so used to running all the time um it's it's a really cool one that i think like encourages you to as you see in your notes here like engage with the very fundamental building blocks of what you are doing in the game and like be more aware mm-hmm. of all the different options that you have, which I think is really cool. Yeah, it was definitely because like, I mean, I've said like, I don't really love the combat of a lot of these uh, encounters. And so like, just like having a new way of using the tool set of near to like engage with these systems in a different way that was like, again, like, it, yes, it was restrictive and that was like, you know, the point of it, but like it, it made just like, a puzzle instead of uh, something to swing your sword at. And I think that was just, like, much more compelling and made a lot of these... Like, you know, there were some, like, very frustrating sections, like the one where you can't run. And in, in the midst of it, like, you're basically just getting fired upon from all angles. And so, like, the way that you kind of engage with that is that you... Well, or at least I, I held down the lock button, so, like, I was never running, but I was able to kind of safely move across... Like, be, basically be shot at because I would not take damage when I hit, at least as long as I had my stamina for that. Um, and that was just, like, a more interesting thing to spend my night doing, uh, my, my, my night of near doing, and then swinging at some more shades. Uh, so I, I don't know how common things of that nature... Like, obviously, like, probably not going to be one that's, like, as restrictive. It's about, like, oh, only use this thing in this room. 
Uh, but just like things that are ways to exist in the world without combat, I think are very appealing to me right now in this game. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I will say is that I do think the combat gets more interesting. Like maybe not like extremely interesting, definitely not mm-hmm. as good as automata combat, I would say, but um, it, it definitely like continues to evolve as the game goes on. And also I will, I will say that as you, you already know from automata, like, near combat also tends to serve the story as much as it serves the the actual mm-hmm. combat itself and so a lot of times i i, I like to think it's of, of some of the combat as like background noise for what is actually happening there's a lot of like dialogue that will happen during combat that i find that y- you end up having to like pay attention to and notice like what characters are speaking and then while that's happening you're kind of just doing something that you can already kind of autopilot through so mm-hmm we saw that even as early as the shrine where you're kind of fighting all these shades while vice and, and near are talking. Uh, and that feels very representative of the ways that sometimes combat is used as like background noise mm-hmm. for, for the, for the main thing that is happening. And then it'll take prominence again when it needs to. But after we do all our puzzles, we fight, a big old Roblox block boss. <laughs> mm-hmm. I really like block boss because he just looks goofy. <laughs> he just looks fun. Um, he he spins around and, and throws different blocks at you. Kaine has a fantastic moment where she like leaps on top of this boss to start kicking its ass. It's really fun. Um, she also has a great line uh, where <laughs> Weiss is like, oh, you came here without bothering to get dressed. And she's just like, fuck off book <laughs> mm-hmm. um it's a pretty like straightforward i would say action boss you're just kind of hitting mm-hmm. weak points and, and dodging attacks and there's there's cool ones where there's certain blocks that you have to dodge around or hit uh and, and like target certain blocks and i i like the way that it feels like you're fighting alongside kaine in this fight it, it mm-hmm. is that moment like i was talking about before of you have an adventuring party now and it feels like you have a team that is working together here um and it's really really fun but um yeah it's pretty pretty straightforward boss yeah that, that first like stage of it where it's just like it, it's made itself into like rings of blocks mm-hmm. it, because you can't hit it with a melee attack it kind of just felt like i was spending a lot of time waiting for it to circle around while my reticle like like when it would yeah. line up with my reticle yeah. probably um so that was tedious but it, at least like you know it was it was fine otherwise i i think when it has the hands and starts slamming the ground and stuff that's that's the part that I really like of this fight. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But we take it out. The prince shows up, picks up a mask. Um, and we bring the prince back to the city where everyone was very worried and then realized that he had found the royal mask. And he declares, the prince declares that, that uh, he was too young to rule the town and has seen the adverse effect it's had on facade. But this mask is the emblem of a king, and he thinks he might be able to project the royal image he needs to to fix things here. And and he reiterates the rules do not exist to bind you; they exist so you may know your freedoms. Um, and now he can truly ascend to the throne. And he thanks us for for helping him, and we give him shit about making a rule zero, <laughs> basically um, to bring democracy to the town. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he gives us a sword. Yay. We're one step closer to having all the weapons we need so mm. far. Uh, one thing I will say, Ken, for your own playtime, uh, turn your booty right back around and walk back into facade after you've left so you can pick up some of those side quests. Uh, okay. 
<laughs> I'm, I'm telling you to do it now so that way mm. you don't forget to do it later because forgetting to do it later will really bite you in a, in a mm. bad way so um we we ask we also ask the prince if he knows how to cure the black scroll he says that everything they tried to save his father from the black scroll ended in failure so it looks like the sealed verses are still our one hope forward uh and as we leave, the king asks if we'll visit again. And we say we will as long as he does not get kidnapped again. <laughs> mm. uh, it, pretty straightforward episode of, of yeah, the I... replicant here. Um, you know, our, mm. our early goings here. Ken, how are you feeling so far? Uh, I mean, broadly, I still feel like I'm unsure about the state of everything that's happening. And, and those mysteries still kind of are the driving force for me. Mm-hmm. Although, like, now we, we talked about it, like, kind of watching, you know, different locations, like, unearth different cultures is, like, I guess, like, something else I'm looking, looking at now very specifically. Um, I don't know if it's going to be, like, as uh, pronounced as facade was, but that was at least, like, kind of one of my takeaways here. Even if I think the... It's one of those things where, like, I, I feel like the... Uh, it's interesting watching them you know, make a design space to have this culture be this, like, front and center thing that is also, like, built into, like, environmental design and things like that. All that's very cool. Kind of find the, uh, and, and granted, like, to the credit, it's, like, kind of critical of, like, the, uh, the arbitrary, very specific rule set that these people have, but it's like, hey, can you, maybe, have you considered, you know, rule zero to have democracy in your town? Because, like, I, I feel like, broadly like you know, the rules do not exist to bind you they exist so you may know your freedoms it's like some real fucking like fascist shit like like fascist like propaganda kind of bullshit that they used to explain away like very uh like very shitty things to put your your citizens through so like as, as like light-hearted as it is often presented like at, le- at the very least it was critical of it by the end well let, let me ask you a bold question here Ken. okay okay let's end because i mean this is a pretty short episode so far so let's get real philosophical here at the end mm-hmm. what stops you from killing other people uh lack of desire to do so mm. so you do not want to kill someone no what if you wanted to kill someone what if there's somebody you wanted to kill mm. well let's assume that desire is out of it you want to murder somebody what would be the reason you wouldn't do it i mean if, if like beyond my scruples about the act yeah let, let's say that your personal desire like, 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 let's let's remove that. There's somebody you want to kill, or, or I mean, let's not even make it murder. Let's let's say what stops you from stealing things. Uh, I mean, other than the law, or just like is that like the answer? Well, I mean, you're the, for? the law the law is an answer, but I mean, if, if that's the answer you're looking for, that's like part of it. It's not. I'm not looking for an answer necessarily. I'm more I'm more posing this as like there there are two things mainly that that dictate the way we behave with others, right? There is the written law, the express law, which has, uh defined uh consequences that we have agreed on as a as a civilization that that we will hold each other account accountable and we have written these defined these laid these terms out understood that these are things that we will accept as uh punishable actions right and and that is written law Mm. and then there is the social contract right there is the unspoken law the the so-called golden rule do unto others uh that is like the other thing they're they're kind of too obviously your conscious also plays into that as well but uh when we're talking about the things we do to others and how we behave in a society there is the written law and 
social obligations. Um, what I think is interesting about Facade is that it so heavily uh, dictates things that are normally like like things that would normally fall under the social contract or even just perceived understandings of the world become writ law. Like we have castes in the system. We have uh, degrees of how much facade lets foreigners engage with its local institutions and, and rituals that they must undertake in order to utilize resources that are considered under the auspices of facade, right? Like you can go in and use the shops, but only once you have done these things that have proven that you will adhere to what we determine is our contract here. That's not completely different from having immigration practices of having uh, visa practices when you are visiting another country. And so what I think is really interesting is that facade is like the place that has these facade has dictated these rules, whereas other places have not in this world, or they just more um, haphazardly, let's say, or selectively ostracized, like, like we just saw in the area. I, I actually think the pairing of these two sections is interesting because we see someone ostracized who is trying to help the community and support the community, but is ostracized for perceived um, let's call them cosmetic lifestyle, like whatever you want to say. Otherings. Um, otherings, yes. Versus facade, which is welcoming if you adhere to the writ contract that they have determined for their civilization. And it's not necessarily saying that one is good and one is bad, but it's like I was saying before, this is these communities creating their own civilizations and governances that people are trying to live under in this new world. And I think exploring them is what makes near replicant pretty interesting because we don't see a lot of that in near automata. We see some of that, but we don't see a lot of it. And I Mm -hmm. think part of the early parts of replicant are really just seeing how this world has changed and adapted over time. I think, you know, all that's well and good. I think a lot of the, uh, the friction I feel is not necessarily with, what facade is meant to illustrate is more just like the the very specifics of how it's implemented because like a lot of the right. a lot of the rules that they have are more or less I, I hesitate to call them gags because like some of it does have like actual like classes undertones to it but some of it mm-hmm. just kind of feels like mm-hmm. oh if it's a Sunday you can't it's like the weird like shit that we have in America that's like oh you can't have a what is it you can't have in your pocket on a Sunday or some shit like that oh I thought you were, I think we were going to talk about um dry laws and stuff like that but oh, i mean um, that too like, I, I was trying to think of like the more absurd which i don't i don't again like i don't think the thought gets oh, to like that level can't push a moose out of a plane over michigan and stuff like that right like you know shit like that and that seems to like the the tone of the like the conversation that facade has with the players like you know we've we've got like all these rules but a lot of them are, are like really silly and arbitrary whereas you know like, like you said like dry laws or something that's more like I mean, yes, like on his face, like that is that is arbitrary and silly, but at least like you kind of get the outdated cultural touchstones that lead to that, mm-hmm. um, where a lot of facade seems to be just kind of like how odd can we make this place feel to an outsider in terms of how we're presenting it? Because I, I do think like there there's a lot to be said about like how like laws and rules 
come to be in a world. And I think that that does come into play with a lot of the, the very like classic stuff of like who is allowed to live on levels higher or, and lower within the city. But then it just gets into stuff that feels like, again, like it, it feels silly. It feels like more meant to kind of like emphasize a point than it is to kind of give you a look into the culture of the city. And well, that's I, where it feels, that's where, it, that's, like, that's the point where it feels, like, more about, like, having control of, over a people than it is about, like, trying to create a society that feels like those rules and laws come naturally and are meant to serve a purpose beyond telling people they cannot do something. I, I, I do think that, like, the whole idea here is to just set a vibe and set a tone and, and like, express something, but... I, I do think what I found really compelling about facade as an area is this idea of entering a place you've never been to before. You don't speak the language. Everything is foreign to you. And you're kind of going like, why do I have to follow these rules? And everyone else around you is like, oh yeah, cause that's the way we do it here. And I think that's like just a really interesting experience to have even in a fantasy world, because it does feel very real at times. If you go even not even just visiting a foreign country, but you go to like, a different town a different place i mean i i feel this sometimes when i travel where i'm like you talk to somebody who's local and they're like oh yeah you know go here go this this is that area don't do this here don't go over here oh this is a bad place don't go there go here instead and um and and these are all just constructs these are all just social things that are learned by the people that live there and then are expressed to you a foreign entity in that place trying to understand the local society the way the ways in which humans live together and i think facade is a really cool example of that um and mm -hmm. and, and like gamifies it in a really interesting way um we'll come back to facade later we'll come back to everywhere later <laughs> a fun thing about this game is that we return to all of these areas again later but until then our next episode will be heading into the Forest of Myth, which should be pretty interesting. I'm very excited to get Ken's take on this area, particularly. Um, we'll be doing some other repairing the canal. And I think uh, th this next episode might be time where we uh, dip into some side quests. Uh, we want to make mm -hmm. sure that we're doing well on our progress on that so far, getting all the side quests done, picking up all the weapons. Uh, and progressing there because uh, it's otherwise a pretty light episode there. Uh, and then after that, we're having we'll guests. start having our guests. Yeah. So our, our guests are kind of back loaded for the season, which makes sense. Nobody really wants to hop on and talk about uh, facades. Interesting, but we'll talk about facade later uh, and what else happens uh, with, uh, with facade later. But a lot of our guest stuff is very, uh, backloaded and i think it's going to be pretty interesting to have that on but we'll have our first guest when we head to help out the kid in the manor but uh yeah next episode will be death dream uh the forest of myth and uh repairing the canal so uh play up through those sections if you've liked what you've listened to you can check us out on any podcatcher of your choice normandy fm you can leave us reviews that's the best way to help us out if you don't want to monetarily back us but if you do want to throw us a little bit of cash you can head over to patreon.com slash normdfm and help us out there as well we're still on the various social medias if you search for normandy fm we don't really use them too much anymore to be honest uh the site formerly known as twitter is kind of a hellscape <laughs> and i don't think we've made a blue sky for our 
podcast. I don't know if we will make a blue sky for our podcast. That's not really something that we've thought about mostly because social media kind of seems to increasingly be a not as helpful way to spread the word around necessarily. So, um, mm-hmm. Probably the best way if you want to boost our visibility and all that is to to leave a review and, and shout us out. Maybe tell a friend. But that'll be all for this week. For Ken, for myself. Well, something uh, actually uh, now that now that now I'm that you're thinking, thinking about, it, about it, we because like we have been very bad about this, and I think it was just because like we oh were gone for yes several months. Um, mm-hmm. let me let me pull up the list because I, I imagine it changed in the midst of uh, us being on hiatus. We do have a certain backer tier on our Patreon that if you want to shout out every week on the podcast, you can get that. Uh, we Do we still have people backing at that tier after the, the break that we had? I mean, uh, I'm sure we do. Oh, for fuck's sake, I need to update the, the fucking... Oh my god, I need to update the uh, the About section. It says I still work at Fanbyte. It has not been updated <laughs> since The Last of Us. Like it, we, we have had so many seasons since then, and it's still... It's still numbered by episode number, so it says episode 105 to ongoing is The Last of Us. And Oh, man, I need to do some fucking housekeeping on our Patreon. It probably, probably every platform or thing that we are on, like, because that's also going to probably the, the, uh, the description that's on, like, iTunes and Spotify and things of that nature. So, God, uh, yeah, I need to... I mean that that was like years ago at this point. I need to. Oh my god. Okay. Where is the right. fucking? I do have an important update while you search for this. Uh, yeah. Elon Musk is at the Valorant finals right now. Great. And the audience booed him. Oh and then hell started yeah. Started a chant of "Bring back Twitter." <laughs> oh god. Mm. Valorant might be. Gamers right. are valid. Gamers <laughs> <Yeah>. are valid. <laughs> I also didn't know the Valorant uh, finals were happening this weekend. I'll have to watch. Yeah, I saw some, I saw some people were at that, but I didn't. I, I, yeah. I don't play that game, so. Yeah, Valorant, Valorant's neat if you want like Counter Strike without all the weirdos. No, I mean, yeah. okay. Let me pull up. Here are the the names. I'm gonna put them in. Oh, we actually have a channel in the Discord that we record for this. So here we go. Oh, for fuck's sake! The the, <laughs> the copy the copy and paste did not work in the way I wanted it to. <laughs> Oh God! Well, I mean, you got you got anything else you want to talk about while I'm formatting this for uh, easy reading for you? Bob Barker passed away. That's pretty sad. Mm, I, I like yeah. Price is Right a lot. Uh, Arlene Sorkin, the original voice of Harley Quinn, also passed away. Um, yeah. Rough day for for celebrity deaths. Yeah. Uh, you hate to see it. Gamescom. Gamescom was pretty boring. Gamescom was yeah. uh, was pretty lame. I gotta admit. Yeah, it definitely um feels like Gamescom. Like I mean. I was gonna say like it's getting less relevant, but and but I mean in terms of like to public facing people, because I mean like the the show is very seldom and uh, getting like the big announcements that it once did. Mm. Uh, th- there is a list of ten dollar plus patrons that I just put in the channel. All right, well our current patrons they're backing at the level that gets a shout out and apparently extra updates on whatever I see on my Twitter feed is <laughs> John Warren, Andrea Sheeran, shout out to Andrea just joined us at Destructoid. Hell yeah. Uh Joshua Jarvis, Seth Pitts, Darius Pippen, Shane Erickson, Cypress Catwell and Christoph Weiss. Thank you all so much for contributing and helping us do the things we do here. Uh, you have you funded a lot for us over the past year or so. Uh, helped us out a lot, whether it comes to just keeping the uh, the lights on, maintaining 
uh, costs uh, backing up our old episodes. We've used this cache to uh, to purchase hard drives on which to store our old episodes. So we have records of them. It's all been very, very helpful. So and also helped me so much. pay for my move. Yeah. Um, Allyship. It's it's excellent. We'd love to see it. So thank you all so much for helping out. Finally, we can say goodbye for myself, for Ken. We will catch you next time on Normandy FM. <laughs>